Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is Bookin, brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is Kevin Lambayer. He is the winner of the Marquis de Sade Prize and a finalist for the Quebec Bookseller Prize. His latest novel to be translated into English is You Will Love What You Have Killed, which is published by our friends at Biblioasis. Kevin, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's an honor to have you here. And all right, Kevin, what a book. I have a lot of thoughts, so let's <laughs> dive right in. Uh, the narrator of this book, as we open it, is in the second grade. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you talk about the pleasures and the challenges of having such a young narrator in this novel? Uh, it's really fun, really, because... Uh, it gives a lot of freedom to the language, I think. Like, uh, I don't know, pretending to to imitate uh, the the speaking of a child is is really uh, liberative, and it it gives it gave me a lot of uh, possibilities, and also uh, betraying this this um, this choice. Uh, I, by this, I, I mean that, uh, of course, I, I choose to to put uh, a child character in the book, but the he doesn't speak always like a child. He also has visions of like apocalypse and and uh, profound thoughts and uh, and opinions about his uh, hometown. So uh, I think. Like all decisions in 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 the novel, uh, it's always interesting when you when you break them at some point. So uh, yeah, I I enjoy it, like trying to to imitate or playing with an, the imitation of this style of this manner of speaking, and also betraying it and and trying to make it impossible. Great. Thank you, Kevin. And um, how do you pronounce the name of the town where this book takes place? It's Shikotimi. Shikotimi. Yeah, the town of Shikotimi is described at the opening of this novel by the businesses that it houses. Mm-hmm. Uh, Walmart, Canadian Tire, Tim Hortons. I grew up in a small town, a somewhat larger, small suburban town. And as I have distanced myself from it, I find people who are still there describing it in the same way by these corporate chain businesses that it possesses. Can you talk to us about the inclination to describe a town in such a manner, both as an author and a former inhabitant of such a town? Yeah, my, my feeling was uh, I was trying to to translate um, something that I I noticed about, about people uh, there uh, because... It, like uh, people from Saguenay, from Chicoutimi, uh, uh, often feel um, remoted uh, or isolated or uh, at the margins of uh, Quebec's, uh, I don't know, main uh, media discourses or main political concerns, for example. And I think because they feel uh, they feel marginalized they tend to uh, give importance to like minor details like for example which which shops do you have and which uh, which uh, chains i guess i don't know if you say that but like 
commercial chains you have in your in your town so people often feel really proud that for example uh, i don't know ebay games would open uh, at chikutsimi like if, like if it's uh, uh, a recognition for their existence and for what they are but it's a recognition that is like just capitalist and <laughs> just the, the only goal of this recognition from the companies is of course to to, to make money so i i i I acknowledge that this is like, for example, my parents have this tendency to to be happy when the, when the shop opens, a new shop opens, or American shop opens. But at the same time, I I feel a little bit a bit bit bitter about this this kind of I don't know superficial uh, recognition. I I would prefer, for example, that people from Shikutimi. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, address their feeling of being marginalized and I don't know uh, try to talk uh, or make media as uh, talk more about regions for example yeah absolutely thank you so much Kevin and next I'm hoping you can talk a little bit about popular culture in the elementary school setting of this novel uh, there's mention of game boys of pokemon and magic cards of uh, tamagotchis as i began to read this i was setting the novel in the late 80s or early 90s when the original game boy came out but then when i saw uh, pokemon and magic cards i readjusted my timeline a few years later can you talk about these pop culture items and how they place this novel at a specific moment in time or are these items uh, game boys magic cards etc timeless uh some of them are for example i don't know garfield uh, was really popular when i was uh, <laughs> a schoolboy, but it was older than it, it didn't uh it wasn't published in the 2000s and uh yeah i don't know those i think those um, those examples are particularly autobiographical they are they come from from my directly from my souvenirs. A lot of the book is uh, is autobiographical, but usually I tend to to mask or to transform or or to to translate what I really um, uh, felt or what I really uh, experienced. But uh, those those traits are just plain <laughs> references to the context uh, that I was. And they, but they, they also refer to to uh, mer merchandising. It was so important. I remember when we were when we were kids. Uh, I remember in uh, in my first year of school, uh, after Christmas, uh, a little boy came with. Um, in French, we say a cassette, but it's like a, a game for Nintendo 64, like those plastic mm -hmm. boxes, small boxes. And uh, mm -hmm. he came with it, like hidden in his um, in his uh, pants. And we were like so admirative that he has a Nintendo 64. It was incredible for us. So, yeah, we, we I don't know. I, I I see also childhood like like this moment where we are really into uh, uh, I don't know capitalism because all our imaginary comes from uh, cultural products and uh, and uh, merchandises and yeah commodities yeah. absolutely thank you so much kevin let's go back uh to the town where this novel takes place for a moment you write that everything uh, sexual in this town is deeply repressed. And we see this with the novel's main characters as the novel progresses. Can you talk to us about how this town represses sexuality and the effect that this repression has upon its inhabitants? Mm -hmm. Yeah, pe people in, in, in the town of my book are really 
uh, yeah, they, 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 they really repress sexuality, but at the same time, it's, 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 uh, it's an it's an hypocrisy because uh, at the same time the people have re really uh, uh, libidinal and uh, active sexual play in the basements and uh, as long as you are hidden and as long as you as sexuality is not a, a common subject or a common like as long as, as it's not uh, seen for example and at growing as a gay kid in uh, in Shikutimi, I felt I think even more this particularity of uh, of the of the mentality there maybe because uh, all sexuality was repressed, <laughs> but uh, gay sexuality was inexistent. It was the repressed of the repressed. Um, so yeah, and and I think this this two sided uh, repression that is not. It's not a Freudian repression because repression in psychoanalysis, for example, wouldn't wouldn't appear or wouldn't come back necessarily. But this like double like semi repression that is kind of an an hypocrisy because everybody knows that there are uh, uh, I don't know hookers or uh, or uh, porn uh, films at the <laughs> at the um, uh, at the shop where they set, where they rent. Um, movies for example uh, this this double or complex repression that is uh, was interesting to me to, to to talk about that this more general social hypocrisy it's like one of the one of the particularities of this hypocrisy right thank you kevin um there is a character in this novel named after you uh this, of course, has been done before with authors naming characters after themselves. Uh, Philip Roth, Brady Stanellis, Grant Morrison, Stephen King, the list goes on and on. Can you talk to us about your decision to write a character with your name into this novel and what challenges and pleasures that presents to you as a writer and that you imagine it presents to us as readers? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I was inspired by some authors that you named. Uh, it was like a conscious, uh, I don't know, um, blink to them or clean uh, I would say in French uh, reference uh, I think like to be honest with you my first <laughs> my first uh, process about this character was uh, that I started to imagine what <laughs> it's, it's horrible to say this is not really moral but anyway uh, I started to imagine what I would have become if I would be straight <laughs> in Shikutsumi uh, because being gay, I always felt uh, like I didn't fit uh, there, and I and I needed to create um, a world a world of of mine uh, using literature, using video games, using uh, movies, and uh, like to escape from reality. But uh, yeah, the, the the first idea, like the first fantasy about this character, was what would I I've been if I would have been uh, straight, and so it's a it's a character that is really different from me, <laughs> that is uh, older, that is uh, uh, despicable, that is uh, cruel. Um, but uh, during the writing process, this first idea changed. I didn't treat it like uh, uh, like like as as my first ideas uh and it became uh the kind of the the metonymy or the metaphor for, for from my 
own uh, relation to autobiography or autofiction. So this character is named Kevin Lambert, but is really different from me. Uh, and it's for me uh, a sign, a clue that uh, all the biographical um, uh, realities that are in the book, uh, they obey the same treatment. They are also transformed, masked, uh, uh, oblique. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Kevin. Listeners, we're going to take a quick break from our, for a word from our sponsor, and then I will be right back with Kevin Lambar. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin' can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin', B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Kevin Lambayer, author of You Will Love What You Have Killed, which is published by our friends at Biblioasis. And listeners, we're going to dive into some spoilers here. So if you haven't yet read this book uh, and you intend to purchase it from Quail Ridge Books and read it, please pause right here and return to this moment uh, later after you have read the novel. Kevin, let's talk about the thread of murders in this novel. Uh, Pretty gruesome, sickening, shocking murders on some occasions. Uh, Let's start with the first, which was sort of telegraphed to the reader for a while with all of the writing about snow tunnels. Uh, Can you talk us through the process of you, the writer, deciding to kill Sylvie in such a gruesome manner, which is by having her run over, pulverized, and spit out of a snowplow? Yeah, uh, this is... um, Writing this book, I remembered when I was a a child, the the vision of life or of the world that uh, was... Uh, latent or uh, or uh, or underscored in what our parents or te- our teachers were telling us, like for example, my mother would always uh, see the worst thing uh, happening at the end of the street. Like for example, if I didn't put my helmet uh, while while I was doing bike, I would of course automatically uh, break my uh, my my skeleton. <laughs> uh, and this, uh, this, this is a very common. I, I don't know how many snow there is, uh, how much snow there is. In the, okay, there is no snow. Not, not much in North Carolina here. No, 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 no snow in much Carolina. In uh, Quebec, there is a lot of snow, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it's a, it's kind of a myth. Every year, the children from school hear about a ch- a, ch- a child that. Uh, dug up too deep in the in the snow and that uh, uh, died uh, under under the the snow or uh, under the the mechanic uh, i don't know i don't remember the name of this like the the, the, the mechanical that mm-hmm. the, like a snowplower mm-hmm. yes yeah, snowplower that's it mm-hmm. so but 
what was interesting me is like all those fantasies that we hear when we are young is to transform it in the book as a real thing uh, because I, I, I like my my universe is not is not realistic. Uh, I try to write on this fine line that there is between reality and fantasy, and to always stay between or or mixing both. And so this was for me a really good um, material because uh, it's really a fantasy that we all heard uh, when we were a kid, but. Uh, in literature, I, I had the opportunity to to give it a, a real <laughs> a real uh, development and a real incarnation. And yeah. yeah, thank you, Kevin. And then Sylvie comes back into the novel, which begs the question: Is this novel "You Will Love What You Have Killed" a ghost story? Yeah, I think it is a ghost story. Uh, it's particular ghost because they are really normal for everybody like nobody nobody is uh, is surprised when people when the child it's only the child that come back mm-hmm. and there is even uh, the grandfather of the main character is uh, pretends to be a ghost like wearing um, a sheet on him and uh, and haunting uh, houses of his neighbors but uh, he, this character is like is like uh, I don't know, ridicule, ridiculous, mm-hmm. stupid, uh, because ghosts don't exist. But in in this universe, a special kind of ghost that is just when people die, they uh, when child, children die, they come back, uh, exists, and it's uh, simply normal. But this interested me because, like, and there is a lot of children that die in the book. Uh, it 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 interested me because. It was a way for me to translate a feeling that I had uh, growing up. Uh, I had the feeling, and it, that is also a political feeling because, like my my political education was made uh, in in Quebec. We had a big um, student strike in 2012, and uh, I, I wrote this book like a couple of years after. And uh, this student strike was uh, was really. Um, violent for young people because the government uh, said like didn't listen to to what students were asking and turned it into into derision and like uh, into a joke so it was really violent for all youth in quebec and uh, yeah I i think all those feelings of not having a place in the world and also feeling that the political space rejects you uh i translated it in those in those a dying child and with also with an, the hypocrisy of the of the town of the of the like everybody nobody cares that that those children die and nobody does anything right thank you kevin and speaking of political feelings there is a section in this novel about the september 11th 2001 attacks in america and i have a couple of questions about this section first this made me think about what it was like seeing and experiencing these attacks as a young citizen of another country, Canada, in your case. So I'm hoping you can talk about that. And then I'm hoping you can talk about how that spectacle of violence, uh, televised violence specifically, influences the latter section of this novel that details the destruction of the town of Shikotimi. Yeah, uh, this is also a, a souvenir. Like when I was, uh, I, I think I was in second grade 
uh, when September uh, 11, 2001 happened. And I remember my, my teacher uh, bringing a television in class and like exposing us to this bare and plain violence without, uh, without much care or without much precautions. And I don't really remember how we interpret it uh, back then, how we made sense of this. But in my book, uh, the character uh, that is that hates his hometown and that is really angry about all those his friends dying, uh, finds it beautiful and finds it's a good idea to to have a revenge uh, against his hometown. So it's like it's like the moment where he gets his idea that like and it's you you you. I think we have the right to make spoilers now <laughs> that you made this uh, this warning. Uh, yes. it's it's the it's this moment that gives him the idea to destroy his city because he gets so like he, he tries to understand why so many child are, are dying and why he feels this hypocrisy and this this uh, narrowness of the mind uh, this homophobia also and uh, and uh, sexism in his hometown and uh, and it and he his his decision is to is that the is that the city itself is 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 responsible for all this and he de decides with all the other phantoms to destroy it and to to get revenge mm -hmm. thank you for that answer kevin you won the marquis de sade prize for your second novel and i haven't read that one it is as it has not yet been translated into mm -hmm. english i don't believe uh but I can see why you would be considered for the prize and awarded the prize based on the inclination of your writing in this novel, You Will Love What You Have Killed. Can you tell me what that prize means and how you reconcile your work with that of the Marquis de Sade prize <laughs> that is named after him? Yeah, I, I, I don't feel a really strong link to the Marquis de Sade, uh, uh, which I read uh, in my literature courses and which I appreciated. But uh, like the, the 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 this this price in particular is given to like its definition is quite wide. For example, uh, queer theorist uh, Paul Preciado won it for, and so it, it's it's given to either like violent uh, uh, literature or literature that that uh, that uh, interrogates sexuality and talk about uh, sexuality. So Dennis Cooper, for example, won it too. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's it's kind of a wide range of <laughs> of writings and uh, but I I think but my the book that won it my second book uh, Querel um, is is all is well it's a violent universe also uh, like my first one but it's also more about gay sexuality like uh, um, frontally it's a character that uh, that. Uh, comes from Montreal and goes to uh, the region where where I came from where I come from uh, to work in the in the how do you say Syria uh, like uh, the place where they cut trees and uh, make plank mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how do you call um, it oh I mean it's where they do logging I don't, I can't yeah. think of the the name for the land right now it's on the tip of my okay. tongue well anyway yeah. he, he goes to uh, Saguenay and he works in a in a factory mm -hmm. but the and there is a strike that uh, happens in this factory and mm -hmm. kind of a big 
escalation of the violence between the the bosses and the the employees that are on strike. Mm. Great, thank you, Kevin. And finally, I want to ask you about the tarot cards in this novel. Uh, there is a great tradition of literary works containing uh, the tarot and allusions to the tarot. I'm thinking of Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy, uh, American Gods by Neil Gaiman, Gods with a Little G by Tupelo Hassman, which came out last year. Uh, why do you think tarot cards and tarot card readings are such right material for inspiration specifically for literary fiction? Because reading tarot cards uh, is really similar to reading fiction or novels. Uh, I I uh, I use tarot cards uh, since I I don't know I'm maybe fifteen or sixteen, and I always felt that that the interpretation work that you have with uh, your tarot, uh, like I'm I, I I'm a I'm a I'm a natiest uh, tarot reader. <laughs> I, I don't really be, believe in a high power or like a, a destiny or anything, but I believe in the process of reading. And I think that uh, the work of reading that you do with your tarot and uh, the, the work of also uh, projecting yourself in it and looking for a sense and for answers is uh, really similar to reading fiction. Like when you read fiction, often, and especially when when those books are become important in your life, it's because you had a question to ask them, and the book partially answered your question or or made your question more complex. Or so I think it's uh, it's really similar. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Kevin, and thank you for writing this novel. I look forward to the next one being translated into English. Listeners, I've been speaking with Kevin Lambayer, author of You Will Love What You Have Killed, which is published by the fine folks at Biblioasis. Kevin, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Once again, I would like to thank Kevin Lambert for joining me. Copies of You Will Love What You Have Killed can be ordered from www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro.fm Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one month of free audiobooks and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jefferies, and this has been Bookin'.